0: Good morning. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here at Sudbury Heights. Uh, We are taking a break, or have taken a break, in our series on 1 Corinthians uh, to do our annual Life Together series. Uh, Life Together is this uh, annual series where we take some aspect of what we hope our life together is marked by and we preach on it. Uh, This year, uh, we wanted to take a few weeks and try to drill into uh, some theological richness about how our life together grows out of God's life together. And so week one, we talked Trinitarian gospel. Last week, we talked Trinitarian church. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk Trinitarian mission. Trinity being the, uh, the way that the Christians have described and believed God to exist. One God in three persons. And so here's, here's how I want to frame it. I want to frame it like this. If I asked you to imagine your life five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, what do, what do you see? When you think, what could my life be like, what do you see? What do you imagine? If I, if I said, imagine, if you're single and, and you're uh, uh, longing for a spouse, imagine your spouse five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now. What kind of spouse do you see? If you're married and you're you're thinking about what your marriage could be like five years, ten years, what could your marriage be like? What do you see? Parents, if I said imagine, imagine your children's lives when they're 10, 20, 30, when your child is 40, 45, 50, what kind of life do you see? What kind of life do you imagine? I'm guessing... When we imagine our futures, when we think about our future, here's what we don't see. We don't see cancer. We don't go, you know what my life could be like? Methodist Hospital. When we imagine our spouses, we don't see angry. When we imagine our children's lives, we don't see loneliness. We know that cancer, loneliness, these are part of life. But when we imagine what our future could be like, we do not imagine them. When we see the future, when we imagine what our life could be like, we see some variation, some version of human flourishing, some version of the good life flowing in our life. We see loving spouses, we see marriages flourishing, we see happy children. But it's not just our own lives. If we think about our, um, our communities that we live in, if we think about our neighborhood and our city, if we say, hey, what... What could the heights be like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? Or what could Houston be like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Uh, I'm guessing we say it it would go something like this. Poverty is just gone. Like, wouldn't it be incredible if there was a day when poverty just was not a reality? A city where everyone matters, no one is marginalized, human trafficking has come to an end. A city where everyone is welcome. A city where the foster care system is shut down because there are no children in it. When we imagine our city, we we don't see crime and poverty, we, we see flourishing. Here's the point. There is something innate in us, there's something innate in humanity that longs for a better tomorrow, that longs for a better day to come. The question is, why? Are we, here's one option, universally optimistic? No, we're we're definitely not optimistic. So why? Why then? It's because it is hardwired into us to long for a better tomorrow, a tomorrow where all flourish. And this longing is no accident. It comes from what God is doing in the world. And so here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna press into that longing. We're gonna press into that longing with three questions. One, what is God doing? Two, what therefore are we doing, and three, how are we at Sojourn doing it? And in the end, I'm hoping today can be a bit of a Vision Sunday, even though I don't really love that term, but I'm hoping it can be a bit of a Vision Sunday, and we're going to walk through a past-to-present slideshow and then collectively, communally dream about our future, and I, my hope is that no one will leave today confused about what we're about at Sojourn. If you leave confused today, it'll be because of my limitations as a teacher, and I hope that doesn't happen. But we're hoping, and I won't be able to say all about all that we're about, but I do hope we're able to see the driving arrow and the heartbeat that we bleed here at Sojourn. So let's go to question one. What is God doing? Look in verse 18, 18 and 19. It's going to be straightforward. No confusion about this. All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All right, so question one, what is God doing? What is God doing? Here's the answer. He is reconciling the world to himself. And so let's define the word, uh, Paul is the author of this. Um, this, this reconciliation, reconciling for what God is doing in the world. This is a distinctly Pauline uh, word here, and so let's, let's define the word that he uses. And it's the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. And so what God is doing is he is reestablishing the interrupted or broken relationship. The question is, when did it get broken? When did the break Come, and the answer goes like this: Genesis one and two God created this world that was beautiful and good and flourishing, and then in Genesis three, right out of the gate, sin enters the world, and there is a severing there is a break there is a uh, interruption in the relationship, um, and this interruption has both a vertical and a horizontal or has vertical and horizontal implications, vertical between man and God, horizontal between. Uh, ourselves, each other, and the world. This uh, vertical, it's the root of the horizontal, so the vertical break between us and God, this is what flows into horizontal breaks and, uh, and the severing that happens inside of us, the severing that happens in relationships in the world. And so if I, if I were to say, hey, raise your hand uh, if you've ever experienced shame or anxiety or depression or uh, unexplainable anger, Um, jealousy like we can give a list of things that we know don't belong and aren't right and we're all going to raise our hands if I said um, hey who comes from a dysfunctional family all are going to raise their hands except people with family in the room right now sign of dysfunction all that's from Genesis 3. All oh, that's from Genesis 3. And when God is reconciling the world, he's reconciling the world vertically and horizontally. It is a holistic reconciliation. But this reconciliation is not a generic process. There is a definitive event that reconciliation flows through. There's a definitive event that it flows through. This definitive event through which God is reconciling the world vertically and horizontally is summed up in the text like this. Through Christ in Christ. Through Christ, in Christ. And so the question is, what then did Christ do to accomplish the vertical and horizontal reconciliation? And so let's pick it up in verse 20, second half of verse 20. We implore you, this is vertical. We're going to start with vertical since that's the root that flows into the horizontal. Let's start here. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so here's what happens on the cross. If you're wondering uh, what, what's the message, what's the story of Christianity, what's the, what, what's the heartbeat of it, it's going to be life, death, resurrection centering on Jesus dying in your place. And in that moment when he was on the cross, when he um, uh, was experiencing the fullness of the weight of brokenness that I poured out on him, it says that he became sin. In that moment when Jesus died, he became sin in our place. Our vertical relationship gets restored because the Father sent the Son so that the Son could go to the cross and be severed so that you and I could be reconciled. If we pause... if that is intellectual data for you, if that is intellectual data, I, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to say next. But don't let it be. Like the, the substitutionary death of Jesus for you, standing in your place. Oh, look, Let's not ever let that not be something that affects us. Let's not let that just become something we understand. God becoming like us so we could become like him, dying in our place. Vertical reconciliation happening between us and God, you and God, the church and God, through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, which flows now in a horizontal. Look back at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, let's talk about something. See where it says, if anyone is in Christ? Um, In in the original text, uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. We translate it into English. Uh, There is no verb in this text. There's no verb. It's just, if in Christ, new creation. If in Christ, new creation. If in Christ, new creation. Why does that matter? Here's why that matters. G- G.K. Beale, who's a brilliant commentator, um, looks into this and says, when, when Paul is using this language, when Paul's using the language that he uses in these two verses, uh, words like old, behold, new, that these would have been flags right back to Isaiah, chapters 43, 65, 66, and the theme of those chapters, the theme of those chapters is the old world is going away. The new heavens and new earth are going to come. So here's the, here's the, the point. I, I've taught this passage before, and let me tell you how I've taught it. I've taught it like this. Uh, if you believe in Christ, if you believe in Christ, your old life, gone. Clean slate, fresh start, old life, gone. You, you get equal footing with everybody, In Christ, because your sin has been paid for, you are in Christ, you have a new life, all that is old, all that's in your past, all that you're embarrassed of, all that you're ashamed of, all that you wish had never happened in your life, gone. Full stop. Now, everything that I just said there is true. Everything that I said there is true. In Christ, you have a new life, all that is old is gone. But here's the problem, my full stop is premature. That full stop is premature because, because reconciliation, redemption, restoration is absolutely about the Lord saving you, saving us, redeeming us vertically, but it's part of that redemption, that reconciliation is part of God's restoration and reconciliation of the world, taking the world from shalom to shalom, from flourishing to flourishing. Your redemption, my redemption, our reconciliation is part of a larger story that God is writing in the world. It doesn't end with you. It doesn't terminate with you. It flows. It flows. Vertical reconciliation from man to God, man and God, this is the first and fundamental need of humanity, but it's from our vertical reconciliation that we can work for horizontal. Because our vertical reconciliation, our reconciliation with God, is what gives the resources necessary to work for horizontal. I want to give you a couple of examples of what I mean by that. Um, we, we have three organizations that we partner with at Sojourn Heights that do incredible justice and mercy work in the city. One is Forge for Families. Another is uh, Open Door Mission. Another is Houston Welcomes Refugees. Forge for Families. They, uh, they they seek to build relationships with families and serve families in the greater third word and in Christ you and I have been adopted into the family of God the redeemed family we can take what we have in Christ and share it with our neighbors in need open door mission serves men who are in need of restoration and a second chance and in Christ we have been restored reconciled from death to life we we have the second chance that we need and so we can take what we have by grace and share it with Others, Houston welcomes refugees, they serve refugees being resettled in Houston. You and I, we have received the hospitality of God, strangers to God, welcomed to God, and so we can go and welcome strangers as our neighbors. Side note, I didn't write that, Matt Kanowski, who heads up our Justice and Mercy team, did for all three of those, and I thought it was beautiful. Beautiful. In Christ, we have vertical reconciliation because we do, we can work for the world we all want. We get to be a part of God reconciling the world to Himself. The question is, our next question is, what's our part? What, therefore, are we doing? Well, there are two verbs in this text that are applied to us. By the way, reconcile. Uh, It's used four times, twice as a verb, twice as a noun. The twice as a verb are reference to God, the nouns are reference to us. God is the one reconciling the world, and so if you look at the brokenness around you, in your family, in your world, and you just feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, you can let that weight go. It is God's world to restore, not yours. You get to be a part of it, but he is the one doing the reconciling. All right, two verbs for us, what are they? Here's the first thing that we do. First half of verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Here's the first one. We persuade others. We try to convince others. We try to be a compelling community, a persuasive community. Persuading of what? Persuading of what? That that Christ is the way to the good and the beautiful life, that God is healing all that is wrong in the world. God is healing all that is wrong and can heal all that is wrong in your life through Him. Through Him. But here's the thing. Persuasion requires relationship, and it requires wisdom. And so I want to just quickly apply press into both real fast. Uh, when I first started, I, I worked at a church called The Village in Dallas. Uh, I started there in o i I'd been on staff for about, I don't know, like nine hours or something. And I was in a meeting, uh, and I had a discussion, right? Um, And after the meeting, um, I walked back to my office, and our lead pastor walked in. He sat down and said, hey, man, here's the deal. You need to choose between being right and making a difference. Because just because you're right doesn't mean you're making a difference. Persuasion prioritizes making a difference over being right. And so can I just say this one more time? One more time. I've said it. Before, I'm gonna say it again, and I will say it again in the future, don't get sucked into the spiral of social media debates. There are serious issues in the world that need serious discussion. Serious discussions don't happen screen to screen, they happen face to face. Just don't buy it. Don't buy the lie that if you're silent on social media that you're silent about issues. Don't buy that lie. Let me tell you a better way. Let me tell you a better way to be persuasive. And I'm not saying don't be on social media. I'm saying don't debate on social media. It's just a great place to make a point. Terrible place to make a difference. Here's a better way. Walk across the street. Get to know your neighbors. Build a relationship with your neighbors. Ask them what they believe about the world. And be kind when they disagree. Be kind. Here's a better way. Get to know your neighbors and be kind. Be kind. You want to be persuasive in our culture, in our context, in our urban setting. Here's all you have to do. Be kind to people who disagree with you. Watch that kindness open up doors for gospel conversations. Be kind. The church exists to be a persuasive community. We've been given the message of reconciliation. Let's communicate that message in a way that's persuasive. All right, which is... One of the things uh, that leads me to that our, our, our life is meant to be, our love is meant to be, our message is meant to be persuasive that I find so intriguing about the next verb. The next verb, the second thing that we do, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay, ambassadors, Uh, I know it's a noun in our language. It was not a noun in the original text. This is a verb. In the original language, it's a present active verb. Ambassadoring is what it says. I know that's not a word, but we're making it up right now. Ambassadoring, that's what it is. And if you think about what an ambassador does, it's actually an incredibly difficult job. Uh, This is not Paul simplifying our life. This is Paul clarifying our life because being an ambassador is actually very difficult. You, You have to be fluent in two cultures, Right? The ambassador who is sent from one country to another has to fully understand the culture he's stepping into without losing any of his core identity. All right? So the Canadian ambassador sent to Mexico has to become fluent in uh, Mexican culture, uh, the way that Mexico sees the world without losing any of his core Canadian identity. Uh, if he loses his core Canadian identity, he cannot truly and fully represent Canada in Mexico. Let me tell you what this means for Christians. What this means for us—it it means holiness matters for mission. There is not a dichotomy between how you live and what you do. Holiness matters for mission. I, it, like what Jesus needs from you is not your love for IPAs. I love IPAs, not the hazy kind. Amen to that too. Yeah. What Jesus needs from you is not that. He needs you to be okay being weird. He needs you to be okay, to be so confident in your identity in him that you're willing to be a little strange to your neighbor. He needs you to not want to fit in so bad that you're silent. He needs you so captivated and raptured in your core identity to be be so grounded and rooted in him That you're willing and able to actually represent him in the world we're called to be in. This is what he needs from us and persuasion, it's the fruit of holiness. Holiness is not a barrier to persuasion, which I think is a subtle lie that some of us have bought into. To be an ambassador, we need to be fully engaged in the Bible, fully engaged with his with the church without disengaging from the world. Why God is making his appeal through us, he is pleading. God is pleading with the world, and He's pleading with the world through His people. God has a missional strategy. God is not unstrategic, non-strategic. I don't know which is the right way to say it right now. God is strategic. You know, a strategy—it's you. He has a plan. He has a plan A for His reconciliation to make its way to the ends of the world. You know what that plan is? It's you. You, God, making His appeal through His people. God persuading his world through his church. That's what God is doing. How does this fit with the Trinity? Let me, let me try to summarize it like this. God is reconciling the world. This reconciliation is from the Father. The Father who is the true reconciler, the one reconciling the world to himself. And it's through the Son, the Son, the true ambassador. The one who perfectly represented heaven on earth. By the Spirit, a true persuader. The one who takes the work of Christ, applies it to us. Who convinces men and women of their need for it. That's how it is and it fuels all that we do. The Trinitarian work of God fuels all that we do as persuasive ambassadors, a compelling community. So the question is, for us, how then? Our question three, how at Sojourn are we trying to do this? And this is where I, I, I want to just take a few minutes, and I want to drill into what we're trying to do. I don't want to be able to say all about all that we're trying to do, but I, but I want to say a little bit. And, and then I'll, I want to roll through a slideshow where we can just just maybe imagine tomorrow together. So how do we do it? Well, we, we use three phrases at Sojourn. Make disciples, multiply parishes, and plant Churches. The primary way that we make disciples is through learning to live and follow Jesus together as a family. Together as a family. Is there more that we can do to make disciples? Yes. Do do we probably need to grow in some areas around making disciples? Absolutely. But but here's what we're trying to primary on. We're trying to primary on what the Bible primary is on. Living as a family. Here's a quote from uh, when the church was a family. That's a It's a book. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. People who remain together, that's not true, people who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding, and they mature in the ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay also grow. People who leave do not grow. Spiritual nomads fail to put down roots and seldom experience the lasting and fruitful growth in their Christian lives." You, you want to grow as a Christian. Here, here's what he's saying. There's a lot you can do, but let me tell you the best thing you can do. Put down roots and live as a community. Put down roots and be a family. Put down roots and, 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 and enter into the kind of relationship that leads to conflict. And walk through conflict resolution with brothers and sisters in the faith. This is the best thing that you do. in the way... The way that we live as a family is in what we call neighborhood parishes. What we hope are these smaller expressions of the church as family. Little persuasive communities of ambassadors. God making his appeal through us in these little communities. Learning to follow Jesus together. Making Jesus known to one another and to our neighbors. And so we multiply parishes. And here's why we multiply parishes. Here's why we do communities that multiply communities. It's because we have neighbors. It's because you have neighbors. I have neighbors. I have neighbors who are friends of mine. You have neighbors that are friends of yours. That we want to see just the presence of Jesus through his people on their doorstep. On their doorstep. Just living life together in such a way that's naturally, naturally visible for our neighbors. What better way could there be for men and women not searching for Jesus to be found by him? Just to be folded right into this persuasive, compelling community. And so if you're a member of Sojourn Heights, you can consider this your invitation to lead and multiply a neighborhood parish. Does it mean that multiplying and leading parishes is for everyone? No. But some of you don't see yourself as a leader, and You should. And you should. And so what do you need to do from here? Well, contact Charlotte, Drew, or Dots. I'm not at all kidding about that. Some of you don't see yourself as a leader and we do. You should. And then we plant churches. New persuasive communities and new parts of our city so the reconciliation of God can make its way to the entirety of our city. You and if you are a member of Sojourn Heights, you can consider this your invitation to church planting. Some of you don't see yourself as a church planter, but maybe you should start praying about it. Some of you don't see yourself as a good candidate to be on a core team to start a new church, but maybe you should. So this is what we do. We make disciples, multiply parishes, plant churches. Disciples that live as a family in neighborhood parishes. We multiply those parishes so that Jesus can be put on the doorstep of every man, woman, child in our neighborhood. We plant churches so that Jesus can be on the doorstep of every man, woman, and child in our city. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to walk through our past to our present, imagine our future, uh, and then we're going to roll on to communion. So here's uh, 2010. In 2010, uh, in 2010, Sojourn Heights began in Uh, Michelle Street. You can see it right there. Uh, You can't see Michelle Street, but you can see the house. Uh, This is where we began our core team at gatherings, just praying and imagining and dreaming about what Sojourn Heights might be. In 2011, uh, Heights continued to multiply parishes. Uh, Marshall and Nicole Dallas joined, uh, moved to the Heights, joined Sojourn, began a church planting residency. And in 2012, Heights continue to multiply parishes, uh, and we multiplied our first parish into Montrose that would uh, potentially become Sojourn Montrose. 2013, Montrose and Heights multiply parishes. Sojourn Montrose officially launches on October 20th, 2013. And then 2014, Sojourn Heights, Montrose continue multiplying parishes. And at this point, we have now two church planting residents, Carlos Rebollar and Paul Ramsey, um, in 2014, I was hired to replace our founding pastor. So, sorry about that. Can't take it back now. Um, <laughs> 2015, Sojourn Heights, Mantras, continue multiplying parishes. Um, and our first parish was formed, you can see, over in the Galleria. Sojourn Galleria would launch on October 11th, 2015. 2016, Heights, Mantras, Galleria, continue multiplying at parishes. And Tony Villatoro and the core team and his core team becomes Sojourn Spring Branch 2017. Heights Montrose Galleria Spring Branch continue multiplying parishes while Carlos Raboyar multiplies the first parish over in the east ends 2018. Heights Montrose Galleria Spring Branch continue multiplying parishes east end soft launches, which is what they're doing right now and are set to launch after multiplying having multiplied another parish in 2019. While Paul Ramsey Uh, is multiplying his first parish into Brazewood right now, and they will, Lord willing, late 2019, early 2020, become Sojourn Brazewood. And then uh, 2019, you can see this is what uh, next year might look like. And then here's a slide for 2025. But let me tell you about this slide from 2025. This slide for 2025 was made in 2016. 2016, this slide was made. And uh, Marshall Dallas made this slide. And, and he said, I made this slide thinking uh, what is the most like, ambitious, unachievable, unimaginable slide in 2025 that we could possibly have. This is what he came up with. This slide, we had no idea what would happen in the next three years. We had no idea 2016, 17, 18, and what's set to happen in 2019. We had no idea that this slide would not just be achievable, but it would not nearly be ambitious enough for 2025. We had no idea that we do now. And so we need a new slide. We need a new 2025 slide. Heights, Montrose, Galleria, Spring Branch, East End, Braveswood, Lord willing, many, many more neighborhood churches, multiplying neighborhood parishes so that the reconciliation of God can make its way to the end of the world. And I said into the world on purpose. We live in Houston, most diverse city in the most diverse country the world has ever known. There is a chance to see a movement of the gospel in our city that reaches countries where there are no Christians right now. God, how dare we not give our life to that? And so here's a strategic move that we're making in pursuit of planting churches through the entirety of our city that we might see the reconciliation of God make its way to every man, woman, and child in our city. We asked uh, Marshall Dallas a while ago. Marshall Dallas planted Sojourn Montrose is the founding pastor at Sojourn Montrose. We asked him to leave his role at Sojourn Montrose and take a director of church planting, pastor of church planting role, uh, because we dream about this day. Right now, we have uh, multiple uh, residents. We have two more guys that we're interviewing this weekend. Actually, we have uh, a significant number of people applying at our residency on a regular basis that we say no to. we dream about this day when we have five and seven and ten sojourn residents at a time, but not just sojourn residents, not just guys who are going to plant sojourn congregations, but, but Acts 29 residents and a collaborative residency in the city that might give our lives away to church planting, and not just Acts 29, but non-Acts 29 as well. And so we, we by God's grace, are able to, to, to position ourselves to play a real part in that and get to serve our city in that way. And so on January 1st, Marshall will leave that role and will begin his new role as pastor of church planting, developing our sojourn in Houston residency, that it's just time that it's more structured and organized. Because let me tell you what we're all in with here. We, We are all in with churches planting churches. I hope there's never any confusion about that. Where we don't talk about it enough, that's on me. But I hope there's no confusion that what we do is we multiply parishes, we plant churches. Why? So the reconciliation of God can make its way to our neighbors, and so it can make its way to the entirety of our city. And if God is reconciling the world through his church, the best way we know to be a part of that is to plant new churches that would be a part of that reconciling work. Is multiplying and planting all that we do? No. I I already talked about our justice and mercy partnerships, but uh, but we plant new churches that would extend that justice and mercy. And then we hope that in that extension of justice and mercy in our city, new churches would come out of that as well. The reconciliation that God is bringing is vertical and it's horizontal. And it comes through you. It comes through his people. He is reconciling the world through his church. It's from the Father, the true reconciler, through the Son, the true ambassador by the Spirit, the true persuader. How we do what we do is our way of trying to play our part in extending and embodying the reconciling work of God throughout our city. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reconciliation that we have with you. We, we don't get to have this conversation if, if not for what you have done in our lives. We don't get to have this conversation if not for you redeeming and reconciling us. And so, I pray and I ask that that you would continue by your grace to extend your reconciliation through us. I pray that we would take holiness seriously. That we But we wouldn't be afraid to be a little different. And I pray for neighbors and friends who are in the room right now. I pray that they would know, if they don't, that this vertical reconciliation between them and God is on the table right now. It's available to them right now. And I do hope for a day when our city, when we can look around and we know that there is this effect, this ripple effect of the gospel it so flowed into our neighbors that, that Houston is hospitable to all. No one is marginalized. All are welcomed. All are cared for. All are valued. We know that our longing for that day won't bring it. We know that its full expression is gonna take the return of your son, and so we, we just ask for faithfulness between now and that day. And we ask for it in Christ's name, amen.